Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. What's up, monkeys? Monkey Dan here, and welcome to the Live Wild or Die podcast. This episode, I'd like to welcome the wild man, Brad Kearns. He's the host of the Get Over Yourself podcast. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a Guinness world record holder for speed golf. He's the number three world ranked masters age 55 to 59 track and field high jumper. It's a video of this dude jumping. Let me be accurate here. Jumping like I think five, five. So five feet, five. Yeah. Five feet, five inches at age 51. So that's legit. And among other things, he's written like 20 books on diet, health, peak performance. He's big in the ancestral living, the paleo scene, all that. He works a ton with Primal Blueprint. He hosts a ton of episodes on their podcast. And again, as I mentioned, he hosts the Get Over Yourself podcast, excuse me, the Get Over Yourself podcast, which I've been listening to for years. He's just, he's a really thoughtful guy. He lives a very examined life as Especially in the health and wellness side, but even diving into like relationships and all and all these other areas of personal growth. So it was a pleasure to get to talk to him and also got to give a shout out. He has Brad's macadamia masterpiece, macadamia nut butter. He sent me a couple jars. It's delicious. It's so good. I'm, I would consider myself a bit of a nut butter connoisseur. I would, I'll be careful where I say that and what company, but it's just, it's so good. It's on his website. It's, uh, it's just, it's clean ingredients. I love looking at the back of the label and everything is a real food. So check him out. He has a supplement called Mofo. It's for male optimization and he's just, uh, he's a wild man and I had a great time talking with him. So please enjoy the show and thank you again to the wild man, Brad Kearns. Here we go. But I want to start. Hey, man, this stuff. Thanks for sending this. It's so good. Thanks for sending me the workout gear. I can't believe you. It's the thing's incredible. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's, a, it's an amazing invention. Thanks. Thanks. And uh, did you guys come up with this and then found found a manufacturer and the whole had to do the whole thing, huh? Yeah, it's um going through the manufacturing process. It really makes you realize, like I look at the world now, it's like, how is this made? How is this made? You know, it's just like, it's such a, it is extremely challenging. So, um, that's why I was stoked, you know, anyone that's making something food product, whatever, I'm just, yeah. I have the utmost respect and appreciation for. So, Oh, that, that thing you're holding, it's the biggest headache. It's like ridiculous. Everything, every single thing was an incredible challenge. And I'm like, okay, well, if it's this hard, then, you know, there's not going to be a, a ton of competition. So, right. um, you know, bring it on, man. It just, just it seems kind of, you know, weird, but that's, that's business, right? That's right. what people do all day. So, well, how'd yeah. you, how'd you come up? Like, what, what was the journey like for <laughs> I, the Brad's I, macadamia I masterpiece? Yeah, I mean, I, and now I'm wondering, like, should I have done this? You know, this is not my. I'm a, I'm a writer, podcaster, health person, and um, what was I thinking? You know, because the logistics just bog you down a little bit, and um, you know, I should be focusing on creating content and doing what I'm best at. But I don't know. I figured, like, you know, it's nice to have a product behind you too when you're when you're out there promoting and talking about healthy stuff. So 
for some reason, I decided to, to market it because I just fooled around making it at home in the Cuisinart. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty much that's pretty much it. So we'll see we'll see what happens with it. <clears throat> so did you like how how long have you been when did this launch? How long has it been out for? Um jeez, you know, just like a maybe a month ago or Oh that's it. Wow. A less okay. Less than that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been trying to get it on Amazon. We had some, you know, glitches there, so it's still not on Amazon, but that'll be coming pretty soon. And okay. We gotta switch to plastic. Damn. nasty plastic bottle Damn. because the the shipping like the glass doesn't breathe and so the oil will escape and and mm. drain on the label and make it look bad so learning all these things along the way man right right i'm sure the same with you guys huh yeah i yeah there's um it's a continual learning and problem solving process for sure but but that's kind of what we signed up for. So, and I think that's actually, it's like, I think I really, if I was like, what do I do? I like problem solving. It's a, it's yeah. like very, um, natural to the human mind. So I, I yeah. enjoy that process for sure. Yeah. I want, I want to ask you about MoFo as well. Like, can you just, how did that, I mean, how'd you come up with that? What was that process like? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, Brian ancestral supplements guy and right. King, or you've seen him around. Yeah. So you know, we met a couple of years ago and, um, I was thinking about doing a, like some sort of testosterone supplement. Um, cause I'm trying to find my, you know, my niche and it's, it, it seems like, you know, my authentic path here is to try to still be, uh, competitive athletic, you know, I'm 55 years old now. So you got to think about like how these things change your recovery rate, your, your hormone levels, all that kind of stuff. So I started getting interested in that. We were just talking to him about it. And, um, um, you know, I, I think it was, it was my idea to, to, I came up with that name and how, how maybe you should, you know, compile some of the organ, uh, the, the, the organ, animal organs, because those things are, you know, pretty powerful. It's like the best supplement you can get. It's the best multivitamin, right? It's right. not made in a laboratory. It's coming from, you know, the original form and the bioavailable form. So we just started talking about doing this joint venture where I would do all the promoting and, you know, he, he knows what he's doing with the product supply. So seemed like a, seemed like a good association. And those guys are cool, man. I mean, it's like, it's probably like your tribe. I mean, they are like walking their talk down there in Texas. Every single person that works for the company is so dedicated to ancestral living. It's kind of an interesting way to um, you know, run an operation these days where the, the gateway to get in, to get hired is like, you got to do the barbarian workout <laughs> on his, at his house. And it's freaking crazy. He's like, Oh, you'll do it next time you visit. I go, I ain't never doing that. I'm never doing it. It's too hard. You know, did you, did you read about it on my website? I, I With, saw it. I don't remember what, I can't remember the specifics, yeah, specifics of like, it. You got to carry like, um, like, 80 pound kettlebells in each hand wear like pull 140 pounds on a sled wear a 50 pound weight vest and ankle weights and you know just go and go a mile on his driveway yeah and everyone has to try it they don't have to finish but to work there you have to try it that's wild man well yeah, like, i couldn't hold it i couldn't hold that much of a kettlebell my wrist would get hurt i'd be out sure, you know? sure. yeah yeah so um, so yeah, when did, guys there, yeah. when did, Mo, when did that launch? When did MoFo launch? Uh, that was, uh, early this year. Okay. 
and then it went out of stock right away. Okay, good for you guys. Because it was a big demand. Um, and then there was a delay getting it back. So I guess, yeah, I guess nothing's easy, man. Right, right. Yeah, we've but had that problem as well. Yeah. When did you guys launch? We did our first Kickstarter in 2014 for um, the original monkey bars. I can grab them right here. 2014, wow. So the original, the original was wood. So it's a wood grip. Oh, wow. Like um, bar. Made in the U.S. And then basically what's cool about it is inside stores all the line. So there's 18 feet of Spectra line inside. So it's yeah. like this self-contained pull-up unit. Um, wow. So this was the original monkey. And there's this little custom adjuster. Kind of hard to see there. But, um, yeah, so that was the first version. And we've done – we did Monkey Bars, Monkey Bars 2, Pocket, 360, and Stoic. So we've done five Kickstarters now. Jeez, man. You've been around for a while. Dude. Yeah. So and the, so the Kickstarter, do you like um, uh, if if you succeed, people get paid back, or they get a they get a a bump on the money they contributed? Is that how it works? It's the best way to think about it, at least the way for for us is it's it's pre sale. It's purely a pre sale. Oh, right, it's a pre sale. Yep, yep. So it's like yeah. you know you could do it like anything really, but it's like hey. Yeah. Buy my new nut butter. It's discounted from retail. What it would be, you know, the, that would be the benefit of getting it early and you know being a first mover and all that. And then, um, yeah, we essentially take what we raise on Kickstarter and then you know because tooling, like especially for um, the latest product, it's called Stoic. I think you would like this. So it's a standing mat. We molded natural surfaces. We three D scan. <laughs> this is what I stand on all day. Nice. Um, yeah. And it has balance and all that, but. Uh, you know, the tooling for this stuff is like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's super yeah. expensive. So, you know, so, it's, so everyone who put in that, uh, that money will get, get one shipped. Exactly. And that's their, that's their thing. Right. Exactly. Kickstarter. Yeah. Hey monkeys, monkey Dan here. Just wanted to jump in real quick and make sure you guys knew about monkey Merino. We just got these shirts in recently. They're 100% Merino wool. They're 100% wild. They're super lightweight. They're super soft. You can wear it to work out. You can wear it to the office. You can wear it around town. You can wear it on adventures, camping, climbing, whatever you're into. I'm so stoked on them. We finally got a really high quality apparel piece, and they're a great factory. They make super high end stuff, so I can't say enough good things. So check them out. Monkey Merino technical t shirts on the monkey.co website. And here we go. Right. No, it's, wow. um, and I, I would think with your audience of like, it, it, it's really, I think Kickstarter works particularly well for someone that has like kind of like at least a core following, you know? Yeah. Whereas like, I don't think I wouldn't recommend it to someone at least now that's like trying to just kind of out of the blue do something. I think you gotta have that. And it depends on your goal as well, but yeah, it's a certain way. No one's going to find you. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's like an author selling a book on Amazon. So what? Right. Right. Yeah. You got to have someone buying it. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, sh I should have mentioned this right away, but I've been recording. I, I like, I just, I kind of like to just flow into conversations and not, I'm, I'm just, I'm not good at like the, Hey Brad, welcome to the living. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I'm happy to edit out anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I'm just, I was so excited to, uh, I appreciate you sending this and it's just, I was so curious and excited to hear about how you'd started, you know, the mofo and the, the nut butter. So 
Yeah, man. I appreciate that. Just, you know, keep, keep, keep pushing. Right. Just like you. Right, right. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about whatever and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll switch the, uh, we'll switch the hot seat. So for sure. I, what, so I've been listening to you. I started listening to Primal Endurance, gosh, like probably 2016. 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Back in middle school. Um, I've been listening to that for a while. And then when that kind of switched over to just the Primal um, Blueprint and then Get Over Yourself, I continued along the journey. But it's been cool to hear kind of your personal evolution, just what you're doing and the micro workout thing, man, I'm so it's, I can't stop thinking about it. It's just like, it makes so much sense to me from like a evolutionary standpoint and just what's kind of natural for human movement, you know? So I just, I thought it'd be kind of cool to start out and just share with the monkeys. Like what's a typical day look like for you as far as training, nutrition, work, play, sleep, all that, which is kind of like a standard Brad Kern's day look like. What's up to the monkeys? What does it look like? You know, that's so funny, Dan, because when I was a triathlete, um, they they had this, you know, the, the monthly magazine came out, Triathlete Magazine. Everyone read it. It was like the Bible for the sport. And they'd profile an athlete every month. And they'd, you know, they'd, they'd go and uh, interview the person and where they live and what their training's like. It was, you know, one of the professional athletes, like an up-and-comer or something. And, um, you know, the feature of the the article was what their weekly training was like. And so, you know, we'd all think in this, this flawed framework of a week. What do you do in a week? What's your weekly training? Well, Tuesday's my long run. Saturday's my long ride. Thursday's intervals. And so every month you would get a printout of another person showing you their training week with their Tuesday night swim. And then Wednesday they'd ride their bike a hundred miles and then they'd lift weights in the afternoon. And it, it was such bullshit because <laughs> When you're getting interviewed by a magazine and you're, you've been dreaming of getting your day as a featured athlete in the magazine that all the athletes around the world read, what are you going to tell them? A, a crappy week where you were, you know, unmotivated and, you know, crashing on your sister's couch and didn't feel like training? No, you're going to give them the best week of all time and you're going to embellish the best week of all time. So when we're consuming all this great content in the podcast scene and on the internet and, you know, watching how... Uh, the, the experts or the, the prominent uh, fitness leaders live their life. It's like, I want everyone to, you know, swallow that grain of salt because uh, really when I was a young triathlete and read about these great legends and how they trained, I tried, I aspired to try to equal, you know, that type of training output. And I trashed my body in the process because it was crazy. First of all, some of these guys weren't lying, and there's some superhuman freaks that I encountered on the professional triathlon circuit that just had the genetics or the mind to whatever to get up every single day and train all freaking day and eat and sleep and get up and do it again. And I was not one of those guys. I was someone who had to be strategic about my, my training. I had to get way more rest than a lot of my peers. I just discovered that after trial and error for many years. So... Um, you know, I started realizing the the negative aspects of digging into this magazine every month and seeing what other people's do. I remember a young kid from Canada. He was just one of the young pros on the circuit, and I was near the end of my career. And we, I was just complaining after another bad race where I'd fall, fallen short of my goals and, you know, telling him that I, I wasn't able to sustain my mileage as well as I wanted. He goes, dude, 
you're one of those talented guys. You're, you're like a thoroughbred. You don't need to go out there and, and work like a, like a mule every, every month. You know, wh- what are you complaining about? And, you know, it's just an offhanded comment. I realize, you know, you have to honor yourself and what works best for you. And so I, I took in all the ideas and all the advice, and I talked to coaches and other athletes and, you know, discern all the things that were going on with all the best athletes and what they were doing. And one thing I discovered was that their approaches were incredibly disparate, right? So you'd have the number four guy in the world and the number six guy in the world, and they had completely opposite approaches to the sport. And the number one guy was different than the number 10 guy and all that kind of thing. So when I was able to kind of progress my career about halfway through, I went from, you know, that guy who was, I think I was ranked eighth one year and then I was ranked ninth the next year and I was good for a win here and there. And then I'd maybe get a fourth or a seventh in a big race. And I made this jump to where I was at my very best. I was national champion. I was ranked third in the world. And I was really, you know, winning a lot of races and one of the top guys. Um, But to make that jump, it required, first of all, moving away from uh, LA where I was always training in the big packs with all these competitive guys. I went and trained by myself up in Northern California and everything kind of slowed down and mellowed out because I was just, uh, on my own and, you know, deciding what to do without, a, out that, without that outside interference. And I was, you know, kinder and gentler to my body and went out to the first race of the year and did way better than I dreamed of because I wasn't training that hard yet. I was just kind of building up, building up. And I ended up winning this race in Phoenix and, and, you know, just cruising the run and beating everybody. I'm like, uh, maybe I'm onto something here with this kinder, gentler training schedule. So not comparing, not being immersed with my peers every single day and having to measure and judge everything I did against the guy who was feeling strong that day, that enabled me to make a, a huge breakthrough in my training. So there we go with the longest non-answer to a Dan question ever on the podcast. I still haven't even answered the question, but I wanted to preface that so that, you know, people won't make the same mistakes of I, that I did that, you know, feeling inferior and inadequate if they're not measuring up to whatever the, the, the talking mouth is telling them they do. And then yeah, I, I will answer your question too at some point. Well, we're here. No, I, uh, I've heard you kind of give that anecdote on your show and it's like when, where I grew up, my high school and college, it was just like if something, a little bit of something was good, then as much as possible is better. You know what I mean? And especially in college, man, it was like every practice, every training session was just like a fight to the death, you know? And by the time the game rolled around, it's like, I was just exhausted. You know, I just was so beat up and I, I would always like some of the starter guys, like they'd skip practices or workouts. And I was always like, it would make me so mad, you know, but then they, they kicked ass in the games, you know? So it's like, they, like you, they were onto something a little bit and it was the training smarter versus harder. So, so yeah, but yeah. And, and that's where like the whole micro workout thing, it's just, as I've been doing it more and more and hearing more folks kind of exploring this kind of train all day and move all day concept, it's like, it's just been so eye opening for me. So yeah. What, what does your kind of daily micro workout session look like? So I I keep, you know, I keep drifting further and further away from, uh, this ambition to go into the gym and, 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 and crush a big long workout. And I think part of it's the aging process because, 
I can go do it. I mean, I, I've, I've shown up at different CrossFit boxes around the country. If someone's invited me, hey, come on over, do a workout. And I'll go in there and I'm not really um, practiced in those kind of things. But if you ask me once in a while to do, you know, uh, 20 pull-ups followed by another set of eight followed by a set of 12, I can do it. I just can't put my shirt on without assistance the next day, right? So I can always rally and do something, you know, big and impressive. Uh, but then... 24, 36, 48 hours later, I routinely feel like crap. And that was the same for my sprint workouts, which I've been devoted to now for um, 14 years. I've been really, you know, transitioning away from that endurance athlete that I talked about to trying to be a more broad-based fitness person. Um, But they always uh, beat me up pretty well. And so, you know, I'd have these long recovery periods after these awesome workouts. And I think that's something that you're nodding your head to those of you watching on video and anyone who's athletic and competitive and you have that athletic background that, you know, high level performer. And now you're an adult and you're still trying to do your thing. We all nod our head, you know, what, what that feels like to go and crush one and feel great and high five your buddies and then go about your day. But in my case, you know, 36, 48 hours later, I'm going, why do I feel like crap? Why can't I even sit at my computer and type? I have to go crash out for an hour and now we realize that the, you know, the, the, the cellular and metabolic damage coming from an overly stressful workout is not such a great thing. And yeah, I was in shape. I mean, obviously the workouts, you adapt and you recover eventually, but things like muscle soreness are now being called into question as something that you don't really want to uh, bring about very often. Of course, you're going to get sore if you go out and water ski for the first time of the season, no matter what. I don't care how many weights you're throwing around. An unfamiliar workout is going to get you sore, but also a workout that's overly stressful and beyond your capabilities, generating that muscle soreness is a really bad deal because your your protein synthesis after the workout, right? You're, you're assimilating the nutrients, you're getting your smoothie, your good meals. Um, that protein synthesis is going to be dedicated to muscle repair rather than muscle growth and improving muscle strength. So first you got to repair the damage before you can aspire to get better from the workout. So, you know, backing off from the, the uh, traditional template of the fitness industry of going, getting in your car, driving to some parking lot, you know, looking, driving around, looking for a closer spot instead of walking a quarter mile, you know, all that nonsense that we're all familiar with. Um, and, and then going in there and doing an overly stressful workout, uh, I, I've drifted further and further away from that where now, as, as you know, you know, I'm, I'm micro workouts guy. So if you did a spy camera on me throughout the day, first of all, you'd be shocked at my level of distractibility and how, <laughs> how frequently I'm, you know, getting up from, uh, this important book project to go uh, do something goofy. Some of it's uh, fitness related, but, um, I think that, you know, the science is now showing that, um, general everyday movement of all forms is uh, ranked ahead of a devoted fitness regimen for your overall health, your overall well-being, your cellular function, your fat loss, your, your fat metabolism, and then also you know contributing to your fitness. It's more important to just be active rather than be that person that goes and sees your trainer twice a week for an hour 
you know, that there's two hours, good for you. And there's 168 hours in a week. So what are you doing the rest of the time when you're not in the gym or not out on the roads? Even uh, runners from my, you know, my world that I've been in forever, people are proudly saying that they're running 40 miles a week. Well, that's pretty awesome. That's a lot of dedication to running. How long does that take? Let's see, Um, you know, six hours, seven hours, maybe out of that 168 and the rest of the time, they're riding the subway, sitting at their desk, coming back and getting onto Netflix all night. But at least they're running their 40 miles a week. It's just like if you can envision a pie chart of your overall health and fitness objectives, um, the, the mileage is this tiny little slice. And then, you know, I'm talking about myself, too, because when I was deep into that endurance scene, I was devoting all my energy to the endurance sports, right, getting competent at swimming, biking and running and I thought a strength training session was 12 pull-ups. Like that was my that was my workout. And it was tough. I mean, that was like, okay, I did I got my strength training done for the day. Now I can continue to recover or get ready for the swim workout. So, um going from, you know, doing those distinct workouts into the flow of just, you know, having uh your surrounding environment be really conducive to to exercise. And people can look at my day in the life video. I should have got uh, one of the monkey contraptions. On oh no, we'll uh... time, so I'll have to do another one. But um, you know, I set up all this this goofy stuff in sight in my visual field uh, during my workday. And now a lot of people are working at home, so they can relate to what I'm saying because you know before people were in offices and it wasn't as easy. But if you're at a company where they're going to frown upon you having, um, you know, a, a contraption hanging off your door, you should probably look for a different job because we need to, we need to foster this and support this throughout society. But when you're in your own home environment, um, my sidekick, Lindsay Taylor, I'm sure you know of her. She's oh, been yeah. writing for Primal and doing a lot of things uh, for the Primal Blueprint Company. She's also a social psychologist by training. And she talks about the research where if something's out in plain sight, like a kettlebell, uh, and you walk by it throughout the day, you're going to be much more likely to grab that thing and do some swings once in a while. And if it's a ambition that's small, small scale enough where it doesn't stress you out or give you that, um, that, that fear reaction that, oh, you know, it, it's not time for a workout. I'm, I'm too busy. You know, all these things, or may, maybe I'm going to get too tired if I do a kettlebell workout. If you can go buy it and pick it up and swing it 10 times and then go about your day and start to program these things into habit, that's when we have this, you know, this awesome power, this explosion of um, fitness, health, well-being, vitality, because you are an active person. And I'm, I'm, you know, I checked out your website and your languaging and you guys are just nailing these concepts so beautifully that, <laughs> you, you know, you. we got to look at our ancestral past. We got to look at how we used to live our lives until until the age of technology, really. Um, even our, our grandparents and generations a little bit further back um, had busy, active days. You know, they had to come home and shovel snow and uh, who knows what else. And now we could just push buttons and the food gets delivered to our door. So, you know, we have an obligation to find more ways to be active. What, how do you, how have you kind of curated your environment? I, I did watch your video, by the way, so I, I could answer some of it. But for the monkeys, how, what's, what, what have you kind of done recently to kind of curate that micro workout and just movement environment? Um, yeah, the the um, the investment in equipment is so minor, right? And so within reach of everyone. And same with uh, you know building the competency 
to grab what do you call the ball that hangs off the door? Oh, the monkey 360. Yeah, the 360. I mean, anyone can grab that. Right. I mean, give it, show it to my mom. She's 84 years old. She's she's pretty fit, but she's not a she's not a muscle head that goes to the gym. Right. Um, but she'll start, you know, integrating some of these things into her day. And same with uh, little kids and all that stuff that you know the the, the whole family can can rally around um, these objectives. Uh, but yeah, you have to have them out in plain sight. So that's a big one. Right. And um, I also sort of put in some what would you call them like uh, incentives, guidelines and rules, things like that, where um, I have to do at least one set of blank uh, before I call it a day. And so if I forgot, that means that nine 30 at night uh, I'm going to go over there and go, Oh yeah, I haven't, you know, I haven't touched that thing yet today. Um, so I have this morning routine. That's kind of the centerpiece of this concept for me. Cause I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of a freewheeling guy. I'm not that pattern regimented person. I don't answer to anybody. I've worked for my whole my whole career almost or at least right. for the last 20 years right and so um, I can easily kind of go with the flow every single day to the extent that maybe I worked out today maybe I didn't you know and I, I finally realized like when I was talking about those sprint workouts where I'm going and pushing myself really hard once every seven to ten days I'll go do this kick-ass workout but then what about the rest of the time I'm jogging I'm active I'm busy but I'm not ever coming close to what I do when I go and launch those full speed sprints. So I came up with this idea like four years ago that I wanted to kind of elevate the baseline from which I launch all formal workouts and do something to, you know, increase the flexibility, mobility, balance, strength, all these things that I need to call into play when I'm doing the sprints, uh, you know, hamstring, uh, resiliency and things like that. So I start, I invented this little sequence of leg moves that I do first thing in the morning, uh, as soon as I wake up and I said, you know, I'm just going to give five minutes here to this little routine. And it, it, it you know, it was like, uh, doing, uh, forking the legs out, doing the, the frog legs. So it was like a core strengthening session as well. Uh, but I really, you know, made this pact that I would do it no matter what every single day, cause it was only five minutes and it would be directly contributing to uh, my sprinting and high jump goals because that's what's important to me. And so it would be getting my legs ready for that, uh, that crazy stuff that I, that I do in a proper workout. And I started to get into a groove. I started to get a streak going. So I started to become important to me. Like I, I couldn't skip it because now, now I have a streak going. I'm talking about it on my podcast. I'm telling the world, which helps me to, to stay accountable and you know, be an authentic person. And so it was really fun. Um, I finally got my 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 filmmaker guy, Brian from uh, Primal Blueprint, uh, to film it. And we put it up on YouTube. And he's like, dude, it's not five minutes. It's 12. It took 12. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I, I, I thought it was five minutes. Because in my mind, it was easy enough to seem like five minutes. And I did it every single day. Sure. So my 12-minute session was my starting point for something that I could easily commit to and not give it a second thought, not have to wake up and go, Hmm, am I, am I motivated today? Do I have enough time today? Is my morning too busy? You know, everyone can devote 12 minutes to, uh, to, to health and fitness if, if they, you know, kind of prioritize it and I, I easily can prioritize it. Right. Cause I, I want to do these workouts better. Um, so then what happened over time is I would, uh, you know, adjust the template a little bit, but it was a, a template every single day. It was the same thing. So I didn't have to think about it. Right. I didn't have to get creative and go, hmm, what else should I do to uh, energize my morning? It was, uh, uh, you know, 
40 uh, hamstring kickouts, followed by 20 frog legs, followed by uh, 20 mountain climbers. You know, it was boom, boom, boom. And it was sort of a meditative experience for me too, because I'm thinking only about the count. And a couple of times I made the mistake of like playing a podcast while I'm doing it to be more productive and <laughs> uh, I'd lose count. And so uh, my penalty for losing count was I had to start over that, that sequence. And some of the stuff's pretty tough. And so you don't want to start over because your kind of mind's drifting. So it's sort of this uh, meditative ritual of the exact same thing every day. Okay. Uh, but what I did is I'd, I'd um, uh, you know, revise it over time. So I would add a new thing. And some of that stuff was starting to take on a higher degree of difficulty because I was so locked into this habit that now it's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to also add um, 20 pulls of the stretch cord wood choppers on each side, and that's going to be my finish. And then I'm going to add some hover lunges. I'm so inspired by um, Stephen Rader, formiseverything.com, and he has a progression of more and more difficult one-legged movements. You can do, uh, you know, chair-assisted lunges, uh, then, then you get rid of the chair and then you do, um, the drinking bird and hover lunge are the two hardest ones. So okay. I finish off with something that's pretty difficult, uh, you know, one legged, uh, squat stuff. Um, so I'm kind of rambling on here, but I want the listener to really appreciate that. I started really slow, um, pretty easy. I actually did the, the core uh, exercises in bed until I realized like the mattress makes <laughs> anything with core so much easier totally. than, you know, I'm like, I got to get on the ground. So now I get out of bed onto the ground and then I start, I'm actually going outside now to get some cold exposure too, but it has to be this really comfortable and uh, natural progression over time to what's now my morning routine takes a minimum of 35 minutes. That's a long time. Uh, for someone to, you know, think about out of the gate, like, oh, geez, no, I got to get the kids up and get to school. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's been that uh, organic growth to now where this thing could actually be considered a legit workout. And what I do a lot of times when I'm done with the, the template that takes 35 minutes, I'll throw in 10 more minutes of uh, what you might call micro workouts or something that now the thing's, you know, morphing into a proper workout. I don't do that every day, but what I do every day is, you know, fixed and non-negotiable. So if it can be for the listener 12 minutes or actually five minutes, if you don't have that much time, but you do it every single day, then you can progress to something that is built into your daily routine that counts toward your movement quota and your micro workout quota. So that's the long answer to the very first thing I do is going into that that um, beautiful pot of your movement objectives of the day. And then the pressure's off. And then throughout the day, you know, on a spontaneous and, and intuitive uh, pattern, I might go over there and hit the pull-up bar for a couple sets and then go back to, uh, to my, you know, my, my core uh, contribution to the, to the world, getting work done. But boy, the research is showing that if you sit still for as little as 20 minutes you experience a noticeable uh, decrease in glucose tolerance. So you stop burning fat well, and you start to get that decline in energy and decline in cognitive function after 20 minutes. And you're going to eventually go and crave some sugar, uh, get distracted. You'll get, you'll drift over to YouTube videos rather than what you were working on because your brain requires that break and your body requires that movement and that oxygenation and that increased blood circulation. So even if you get up and do one set 
of the 360, uh, you know, one wood chopper set and go back to work, you will keep that cognitive function at a high level throughout the day. Right, right. Did you, one thing I was, I listened to the episode, I think it was with, was it Dude Spellings talking about his micro workout routine? I mean, he was doing like, (laughs) he's doing like, what, 300 push ups, 100, I mean, he was doing a lot of volume. It was his COVID, uh, you know, it was his COVID fitness transition. And instead of going to the gym because it closed, he said, I'll just do um, some some body weight stuff on the hour. So he set the hour alarm on his computer. He's, you know, working in in a home-based situation, but, you know, for an employer, eight to five type of thing. So every hour, the the alarm would go off. And what did he say? It was uh, 15 pull-ups, 30 push-ups. Right. And um, uh, twenty squats, okay. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so, d- dude's a badass. Anyone who's heard of him in Austin, he's a primal health coach down there, and he's one of the most uh, accomplished, I'd say, uh, amateur, you know, uh, uh, ancestral health leaders. That has the, his knowledge base is phenomenal on all kinds of stuff. Uh, but yeah, he's the real deal. And so, if you start getting, you get a calculator out and multiply what this guy has done over the past eight months. I mean, every day he's doing, um, what did I just say? Like, you know, 210 yeah. uh, pushups. He's doing eight times 15, you know, a hundred pull-ups. And um, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's incredible. He's had a huge explosion in his fitness from getting the gym closed and, and being, you know, quarantined. Right. Well, and that's, you know, when we have, um, we actually have DIY uh, instructions on our website for all our products. So if anyone's listening, it doesn't happen to have anything you can, it's very easy. You don't need a lot as Brad said, and, uh, you can really accomplish so much with body weight. And I remember it was on Joe Rogan show, but it was, um, I can't remember his name. He's a UFC trainer, but he oh, was, Firas. yes, yes. Thank Firas you. Zahabi. Everyone can remember yeah. that, but me, yeah. Firas Zahabi. He, uh, he was talking about how the body weight training doesn't have the same kind of neurological drain as you know, heavy weights and things like that. Do you remember him talking about that? Um, yeah, I've heard other people talk about it too. Yeah. And I don't really um, understand that too well, but they were saying like, oh, well, deadlifts really, uh, really stress the central nervous system. Right. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Every sure. workout stresses the, you know, the central nervous system is the one telling the muscle to fire. Um, but it's it, it seems to make some kind of sense where, um, you know, you're – you're not so likely to overtax yourself. And I'm still struggling with this where when I go in and do uh, the heavy weights, because I do believe they're important for bone density and for explosiveness and all that. For sure. Um, I, I end up getting myself sore even when I didn't intend to. So now I've been, I'm more enjoying the X3 bar. Uh, you guys have probably heard of that. Right. You know, and, and then, you know, all the, uh, I don't know what you call this, the, the, the broad category of, the elastic, you know, where you're, you're pulling against resistance. Sure. Like, sure. What's that called? Like the elastic, I mean, I just elastic band resistance world, bands, you know? so yeah, like resistance the X3 bands, yeah. bars, elastic band, um, the stretch cords are elastic band, right? Your stuff is, is pulling against that type of resistance. But I think what's happening is the, um, the eccentric contraction. So when you're lowering the weight to the ground, that's what gets you sore, not lifting it up. Right. I, I hope I'm accurate here. Yeah, no, you're right, I, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so when you're when you're pulling the elastic to its full tension, that's when you're getting the maximum uh, resistance, the maximum muscle stimulation. But then when you release it, 
and it goes back, it gets easier and easier and easier. And I had John Jaquish on the podcast, inventor of the X3 bar, and explaining it from more from you know accurate physiology. Uh, but you know when you're pulling against maximum resistance, that's great for your muscles. That's not what's getting you sore. It's having to lower that bar down. So um, I feel like the the elastic world is superior in many ways to these heavy weights. And Jaquish goes so far as to say that the only reason you're lifting weights is because you're a bro and you, you dig it because it's not <laughs> as efficient as uh, using variable resistance, which is what these, these bands represent where you're, you're going farther and you're pulling the strap further and further. And so that's when you get the most strong. Sure. But if you tried to do that same thing with a weight, guess what? You're starting with the bench press weight on your chest. And so the most difficult six inches of the bench press is the first six inches. And that's why I can't bench 350 because I can't <laughs> get it off my chest. But when I'm maximizing the tension on a strap, uh, I actually, actually am putting my muscles under that kind of load because right. your, your body is, um, is it five times or eight times stronger at its maximum leverage point as opposed to the minimum leverage point with the bench press on your chest and your elbows are bent. And, you know, that's when you need to get that, that bar off your chest. And so everyone's constrained by that. But now when we're using, uh, you know, stretchy tubes, we can, we can work it hard. Right. For sure. I, I actually, I just filmed, um, some videos for the 360, like week and a half, two weeks ago, you know, I probably did like a thousand reps, you know, cause you got to do all the different, you know what I mean? Just doing all the takes, but I was dreading the feeling the next day or the 48 hour feeling. And I felt fine, you know? Wow. Yeah. I felt fine. Just, um, you know, I, I certainly had a little bit of stiffness, but it wasn't that epic, deep, just painful sore that I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. It's muscle damage. Exactly. Man. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to ask you too, cause I remember you talking about, you had the hex bar in the backyard and you would do some reps and all that. How did you transition from that to the X3 or do you still use the hex bar? Uh, yeah, I still use the hex bar, but I'm now realizing just as we talked about a while ago, this kinder, gentler approach okay. to everything. I've really noticed that toning down my competitive intensity is going to be a good thing at all these workouts. So now I've, I've like taken weight off a lot of weight off, especially because I'm dealing with a knee injury now. And oh, so dang. I'm working around this knee injury and trying to maintain my, my strength and all that. But you actually end up um, feeling pretty good and getting good fitness stimulation from doing workouts that are less strenuous. Right. And I mentioned CrossFit, like I, I haven't done many workouts, but at, every time I went and I love the, the modality, the philosophy is fantastic. It's so aligned with, you know, the ancestral health movement in general. We've been promoting that for years that this is a really cool thing because you should learn how to jump on a box or climb up a rope or run around the block for a quarter mile and then get back into, you know, pumping iron. It, it's brilliant. Uh, but every time I participated, I felt like there was a point at the two-thirds mark of the workout where if someone had called me out of the gym because I got an important text message, yo, I got to bounce. Good job, guys. I'm out of here. That would have been perfect for me. And then that last third of the workout where I'm continuing to grind away, uh, knowing that I'm not training for the CrossFit Games, I don't intend to qualify anytime soon. That was the part where I felt like I had a point of diminishing returns. And I feel like this is so common in group exercise. I used to work for the spinning company, uh, spinning indoor exercise mm -hmm, program. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of my time 
in the area of instructor education and creating additional uh, educational materials for them. And the main message that we were trying to get out was it's okay to slow people down. You don't have to scream at them to sprint one more hill on the Tour de France and, and crank the music up even louder. We can have, for example, recovery sessions where we work on pedaling technique and breathing and all these things that people, they want to go in there, crank the music up, sweat like crazy, and then guess where they're going next? Jamba juice for a medium Jamba juice smoothie and a breakfast scone. And when you add the calories and the medium smoothie and the breakfast scone, it's more than you just burned in a kick-ass 45-minute spinning workout. So this is uh, the kind of things that in the fitness industry uh, are ridiculous. It's amazing that they still prevail to this day after years and decades. And I think we're finally on the forefront of massive breakthrough with the stuff that you guys are doing. Um, you know, I mentioned Jake wish inventing this X three bar that takes that, you know, that danger factor and that muscle soreness factor out of heavy, heavy strength training. Um, guys like fear us, who's a top MMA trainer telling the world that he doesn't want his athletes ever getting sore. You remember when Joe Rogan's like, what the F are you talking about? Man? Right. I'm sore every single right. workout. What do you right. mean not sore? Are you talking about beginners? He goes, no, I'm talking about world champions and beginners. And so many people are echoing this. Dr. Phil Maffetone, he's a big leader in the endurance scene and one of the great coaches of all time. He says, no, you shouldn't get sore. You just, just flat out, you don't want to get sore. Um, Dr. Craig Marker wrote this article on the website uh, breakingmuscle.com. Mm -hmm. And the title is Hit Versus Hurt. HIT, we all know, stands for high-intensity interval training. And his take on that is HIRT, H-I-R-T, stands for high-intensity repeat training. So the distinction here in kind of modifying your, your intense workouts in this manner to avoid muscle damage and ammonia toxicity and things that happen when you're in that burnt-out you know, recovery state after a workout that was too difficult is the, the HIT workout implies that you're – reaching these, you're doing these intervals over and over again. So you're doing six times three minutes was one of our favorite running workouts back when I was a triathlete. And so the first one, you feel pretty good. The second one, you feel okay. And then the fourth and fifth and sixth ones are pure torture because we're doing it on a 30 second rest interval. This is a classic hit workout where you're boom, uh, achieve, you know, performance standard again and again and again and again. And then by the end of the workout, you are exhausted and depleted and literally glycogen depleted from some of these workouts that you see in an hour long spin class or with a boot camp session or the things that you see are routine on the board at every gym across the land. And so you're taking someone who feels pretty good at the start, is pretty pumped up, and by the end, they're exhausted and they're ready for their Jamba Juice. Oh, absolutely. The show is not sponsored by Jamba Juice. Thank you for <laughs> listening. And back to our programming. And so the problem there is that if you engage in this repeatedly, then you're going to have this, uh, this muscle breakdown, this immune suppression, this hormone suppression, especially for men are being interested in testosterone. You're doing the exact opposite. You're, you're antagonizing testosterone with overly stressful workouts. So um, the, the, the hurt concept is that you go and perform and you do these explosive high intensity outputs, but they don't last too long because if you try to go max out for more than 20 seconds, it's physically impossible for the human. You can only do maximum output for really uh, the scientists think around seven to 10 seconds. And then you start decelerating. For example, if you're watching the Olympic hundred meters, 
they they you know measure how fast Usain Bolt is going. He hits maximum speed at sixty meters, and then he slows down the least of all the other people to win the gold medal. Slows down the least. He's not speeding up anymore because the body can only do maximum output for however long it takes him six or seven seconds to get there. Right. And so once we hit about twenty seconds of maximum output, where you're asking the person, all right, all out on this on this set, whatever it is, kettlebell swings. Um, 360 ball, you know, pulls or an actual sprint, uh, you know, across the track. Um, that's when you start to uh, break down the cellular composition of your muscles to to support continued maximum output. It's called disassembling and deamination of the cellular proteins, and it's sort of like. Uh, you know, burning anything around, throwing more newspaper in the fire to keep the flames going super high, right. but you're engaging in all this cellular destruction accordingly. And so if you try to do 10 sprints of 30 seconds at the end of our spin class, you are literally just destroying your cells in the name of hitting these intervals. And of course, the brain can do it. The competitive intensity comes out, your adrenaline's pumping, and you can complete the workout. And we did the six times three minutes at the same time. Each time we hit three minutes, it was for, uh, you know, the, the same running speed. But the cost is so great compared to, let's say, a hurt session where you're toning down the sprints to a, a reasonable duration. And then you're taking what Dr. Craig Marker calls luxurious rest intervals. So you don't come back and try again until you feel totally rested and energized and focused and ready to perform again. And by taking that long rest interval, you're allowing some of the ATP to replenish in the muscle so that you don't have to break it down. It's, it's ready to go again in an explosive manner, but it requires a lot of rest. And so unless you're training specifically for the CrossFit Games, what was that guy that just – oh, Matt Frazier? Oh, yeah, 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 Matt Frazier. Yeah, uh, so, dude, dude wrote me a text. He goes, this is the fittest human who's ever lived on planet Earth. <laughs> and I'm like – well, that's saying a lot, man. What about, you know, the, the, the Olympic decathlon champion Ashton Eden? He broke the world record in 10 events. And then you watch what this, these guys are capable of at the front of the pack. And I'm like, you know what? That's a pretty accurate call because right. th what they've done with their bodies is just astonishing. And the workouts they must do to prepare for the CrossFit Games, you can't even imagine. Um, I'm not going to say that's aligned with health and longevity, and those guys would all agree too. What I did as a triathlete was not aligned with health or longevity, but I was trying to get one one hour forty six minutes and thirty seconds instead of one hour forty seven minutes for the for the Olympic distance race, and so you sacrifice health and longevity for those kind of goals. Um, but you know, for all of us just trying to be fit and healthy and have nice you know hormone optimization, immune function, uh, good cognitive function throughout the day. Uh, it's okay to take long rest periods and then, you know, do some great output, go for that explosive top end, which we really need to work to be healthy people, uh, but not, you know, don't kill yourself in the process. And since I transitioned my sprint workouts to this uh, new type of strategy, uh, it's been an incredible revelation because now I walk away from the track. And I have a little bounce in my step and I feel fine. And 24 hours later, I feel okay. I might be the tiniest bit sore in my calves that last for one day instead of three days of limping around the house and all these things I've been used to my whole life as a competitive athlete, just like you referenced back in college where the guys who are skipping practice are going crushing in the in the games. Yeah, man, it was so frustrating. But it's it now it's like, oh, man, well, I guess I was kind of the idiot back then, but... 
you mentioned Craig Marker and I wanted to ask you, have you read, I just finished, um, quick in the dead. And I talked just actually did a podcast with Sean Sewell. I, I know you're on his show a few weeks back, but man, the quick in the dead, I've been doing that program and it's, it's so genius. It's so simple, but so genius. And it, it's like, the problem is like, I feel like as a culture, we haven't accepted that it's okay to take these long rests. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something, something's weird here. And when I used to coach triathletes, uh, I did a lot of one-on-one coaching over the years and we'd get to this, uh, kind of fork in the road where it was, you know, what I was saying, what they were paying me to the advice they were paying me, uh, would kind of bump up against this type A behavior pattern where the, the human needs to go out there and blow off steam and get, you know, excess energy burnt off from the pent up frustrations of daily life and being confined into an office or uh, having, you know, a lot of plates spinning with dealing with little kids and uh, uh, bills and, you know, business headaches and things like that. And so you're allowed to go and unload and and get out onto the the bike trail and pass everybody and feel that, uh, that surge of, uh, stress hormones in your bloodstream and those endorphins afterward where the, the pain killing sensation, you feel like it's a drug like effect where you feel great because you just, you know, pushed your body really hard in a workout, but that doesn't necessarily align with health, fitness, or even competitive success. And so the patience required and the restraint of that competitive intensity over and over again, every time you go out and work out until race day, when then you can unleash the dragon and get out there and want to crush everybody and have all that stuff come to the forefront. But if that thing drips into your daily life again and again, uh, you're talking about you know a, a recipe for destruction. Oh, absolutely. And I've heard you reference this before, but I, I know for sure I left I left probably my best performances out on like the practice field or in the weight room versus like the game field. You know what I mean? So it's again, reflecting back, it's like, man, I, I just, I wish I would have known then what I know now, but it's just, it's the cultural thing to me. It's just, especially like the division one college athletics. It's like, it's the survival of the guys that are lucky genetically, you know, versus yeah. like smart yeah. training. So it's, and it's, that kind of seeps into everything else. It's been going on for, you know, the last 50, 70 years, hasn't gotten any better, and it's, it's pathetic. And I think in the college scene, there's a lot of pressure on the coaches. Oh, uh, sure. in, in the major sports, they're making millions of dollars, right? right. And so they're, they're seeing the athletes as commodities that are expendable. And so if you go and put, you know, my reference point was running. And so we had, you know, uh, 23 guys out there on cross country practice. Now, seven of them uh, are selected to be on the travel team and five of them score in a cross country meet. So if you push 23 guys really hard, you're going to get five of them that are going to really thrive and be in the front and they're going to score points and they're going to win. And the coach is going to be successful and the coach is going to get a raise and, they, and, and all the glory is going to come to the school. So five of them are going to thrive. Um, seven of them are going to be okay and they're going to perform, you know, somewhere near their potential. And then what does that leave? It leaves half the squad is going to get anywhere from, 
you know, regression of uh, performance potential to absolutely destroyed. And I just get to raise my hand that I was one of the ones that got absolutely destroyed with mono and stress fracture and shin splints and chrondomalacia and every injury known to mankind below the waist. And then, you know, completely bombing out of, you know, uh, the, the athletic experience because I couldn't handle the repeated stress of training. And only when I, you know, was, was uh, opening up to the new sport of triathlon and training myself and not being beholden to this, you know, this torture chamber that's NCAA division one college athletics. That's when I was able to find my own potential. Uh, but you know, the advancements that we have in training and, and fitness now, it, it's shocking that it still goes on. Right. I mean, and you see, even in the NBA, um, Clay Thompson, oh my gosh, you know, one of my favorite players, He's recovering from a horrible injury, and then he tears his Achilles for another horrible injury. And I want to sit down everyone who is involved with his rehab, with his diet, with his uh, lifestyle patterns, and you know, put them in the tribunal and say, you know, what's going on here? This is a multi-million-dollar human athletic asset who somehow has not, you know, gotten the memo that um, his his functionality is being compromised in. in in favor of, you know, trying to uh, get more baskets in the basket and something, something went wrong there. I'm just going to call it out. You know, maybe, maybe it's crappy ass diet. Cause I know some of the elite athletes on the planet still are going in drive through and not putting that connection together. Uh, one and one equals two, you know, so, but also the, um, the, what is it? The like, you know, obsession with winning mm. and performing and putting points on the board you still see these mistakes being happening in every sport all the time. The player gets back on the field too soon. Who was the great quarterback? RG3, remember him? Mm. Robert Griffin. He was a hurdler, a world-class hurdler in college at Baylor. He was the number one or number two pick with Andrew Luck, You know, one of the top quarterbacks they've seen in years. He performed fantastically for a few years. And then his knees blew apart and his legs blew apart. And you know his career tragically ended early. And it, because he wasn't cared for properly as an athlete and a whole person. Right. Yeah. I, f- I felt like it was the strength coaches actually, I think, had good intentions and they kind of knew, they knew this. This was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. They were like battling against the head coaches who were crazy. And, uh, yeah, it was just this, they, they never went out on that, unfortunately. And they were, they were, you know, they were holding us back as well. It was like, you know, we'd want to go, all right, we're doing extra work. So we're going to have that edge, which, you know, mentally, you know, maybe there is an edge there, but for sure, physically, it just, I remember every season just being so burnt out, man. So it's, uh, I just, I hope there's a shift. Yeah. Because, um, uh, I, I, I had an interesting conversation with, uh, with Maffetone about this and then Mark Sisson and I put these insights together. They both said something similar where if you think about it, we don't really need to train, our, our, our eye of the tiger, our competitive edge, it's always there. And I can prove it to anyone listening or you by, by coming over to your house and putting gun to your head <laughs> and saying, Hey, Dan, we're going to run a marathon today. Do you like marathon running? Uh, not really, Brad. My, five miles is about my favorite, but you will run a marathon and your competitive intensity will come out like you've never seen before because there's a freaking gun to your head. Now, do you need to practice, you know, uh, for, for the guy coming over and putting a gun to your head? Or he says, hey, you're going to do 500 pull-ups today. 
oh, no, I can't do that. The most I've ever done in a day is 150. You're going to do it. You're going to rally, you know. And so do we need to, like, torture our brains over and over to have this strong competitive edge brain? No, we don't. And also, the way the anaerobic muscle fibers work in the body, the explosive non-oxidative muscle fibers, we don't need to train those day after day after day either. We need to hone them with some explosive output once in a while with plenty of recovery time. That's how, you know, power athletes get better. Uh, and the endurance people, yeah, you have to put in, you know, your time and your hours and the greatest runners of the planet and swimmers and, and Tour de France cyclists are out there training all day. But by and large, the great athletes of the world are training at a comfortable pace. They're not crushing themselves like the average amateur enthusiast that you see on the bike trail. So everything's all messed up where we have to feel like, you know, we use the word consistency in fitness a lot. Like, yeah, I'm trying to be more consistent. My goal in 2021 is to be more consistent with my running mileage. What for? What, what, where does consistency fit into the stress and rest patterns that make you as a better athlete? It's, it's completely, uh, you know, misappropriated in this context. Right. Right. Well, and the consistency of training can take many forms, right? Where it's like, you don't have to necessarily go do those crazy sprint workouts or running. You could do yoga, stretching, mobility, recovery, ice baths, yeah, consistent heat. movement. Exactly. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Usain Bolt had an autobiography out, uh, when he was, you know, in, in, in his top form and there was some quotes from coaches and, and he admitted himself that he's really lazy in training. And oh my gosh, you know, you see, it's hard to get him to focus. Uh, he, he'll, he'll, you know, he'll beg out of the hard stuff. And it was sort of this running theme that Usain Bolt is kind of lazy. Other than that, he's a great athlete, you know? And it's like, wait a second, this is one of the greatest athletes of all time on the planet. I'll give Matt Frazier and those all around people the, the kudos, but, you know, to dominate sprinting, probably the most competitive athletic event on the planet, if you count all sports, I mean, anyone can sprint 100 meters and every little kid on the planet has at some point been tested for his competency, unlike the PGA Golf Tour or, or the, the, the people who haven't picked up a tennis racket, they're never going to battle Roger Federer. Uh, but, you know, here's the greatest athlete, one of the greatest athletes of all times, and he's lazy. Uh, so what part of the picture there do we need to absorb a little better to realize that maybe this guy trained his body, uh, better than any other athlete during his career by being lazy and allowing himself to take time off in the winter and, and go, uh, do the dance club things and all the things he's been seen doing that aren't aligned with Olympic gold medal, you know, obsession. Right. Right. What I, I want to ask you for your sprint workouts, how often are you doing those? Typically. Oh, it's, you know, uh, it's like once a week, I think is the sweet spot. I was trying to get out there and do um, sprinting and high jumping practice twice a week and have the second workout be really toned down. But as I admitted earlier, man, when I get out on the track, it's so much fun. And I feel, you know, I feel so pumped up when I get out there. And I have these big goals for, for sprinting and high jumping. And it's really, really easy for me to overdo it when I'm placed in that environment. Just like going into the gym and getting on your bike seat in the spin class, you're sure. not gonna, you're not gonna, you know, uh, ignore the instructor and do a thumbs down when you don't feel like doing your seventh, eighth, and ninth and tenth sprint. You're gonna join the group and you're gonna be swept away with the group energy. So I'm really trying to be careful and moderate my output 
and have this brand new <laughs> revelation for Brad Kearns, which is kind of a, a moderate workout rather than a kick-ass workout every time. And I right. think that's really helping me. And so there, you, you know, when we use the word consistent, or it's making fun of the word consistent, you know, just being consistent with your attendance record, but not crushing yourself. I think that's where um, we can get into a really nice groove. Right. And if, if the 360 ball's hanging off your door, and you haven't touched it in four days because you've been so busy and you got family in town and this and that. You know what? Something's off about that story. And what I want you to encourage you to do is go out there and do one freaking set no matter what before you go to sleep every night. And if you forgot, go do one set at 10 p.m. It's not the best time, but that's the kind of things I'm training myself to be better at where it's not this all or nothing thing where everything has to be perfect and the stars align to go crush myself until I'm puking on the side of the track. That's the old school mentality of, of training that we, we have now graduated from and, you know, can evolve beyond. Right. It's almost like I, I was a CrossFit coach for gosh, almost a decade. Actually, I used to train the now CEO of CrossFit, um, strangely enough, but it's like if you could change the culture and training and fitness to instead of like the one more faster, it's like, hey, take it, take it easy, slow. You know, it's like <laughs> we can have a new billboard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you just came up with a brilliant ad. Campaign. Exactly. Yeah. Take yeah. it easy. Um, well, Brad, I have a whole list of questions here, but I think we should just do this again sometime. Oh, my gosh. We you know, we're we're in a groove. I, I loved it. And um, yeah, I'd love to. So throw in more questions. Yeah. What, so if people want to find you, bradkearns.com. Yeah. Bradkearns.com. There's all kinds of fun things there, including videos of me doing crazy stuff like breaking the Guinness world record for the fastest single hole of golf ever played, putting my sprint workouts to, to work there out on the golf course. And the Get Over Yourself podcast is, you know, the, the landing page is there and you can find that where all the, where all the podcasts are consumed. And, it's just great to connect with your audience. I love what you guys are doing. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate Join it. The and then, Monkey Tribe, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Nut macadamia masterpieces on there as well. Yeah, you can find some delicious nut butter, one of a kind. Everybody smiles when they try it. It's so, so I'm just out there good. living healthy, man. It's I, I, like I took that first bite. I'm like, wow, because I've, I've, I, you know, I, I've dabbled in my nut butters, man. So. I uh, I was really sewer, huh? I was really impressed. So monkeys, check it out, and then Mofo as well is on there. Yeah, that's the male optimization formula with organs uh, that I'm promoting with ancestral supplements. A lot of people are familiar with their awesome product line of freeze dried, grass fed animal organs from New Zealand. And this is a big uh, dietary priority for us, especially those of us interested in ancestral living, is to consume the animal nose to tail manner and the organ meats. And I'm trying to keep my liver game high, but sometimes I don't get it mixed into my meals as, as often as I should. And so, you know, to have it available in a supplement form, I'm really strong on the concept of, you know, keeping that, uh, that nutritional uh, powerhouse up at, up at a high score and getting the superfoods in your diet and getting these supplements. But this MOFO supplement that we created is specifically for testosterone optimization. And it has the, uh, the molecular signaling, the bio directors, cause you're, you're, you're consuming uh, a, a blend from animals that includes testicles, prostate, <laughs> right? So you're, you're getting the same nutrients you need and the same cell directors that the human needs to kind of boost 
internal testosterone production. It's been really popular. And the people who are into this stuff, man, they're all into it. There's so many evangelists out there. You can see the success stories. And then there's some people on the sidelines that are like, organ meats? What are you talking about? And so I think it's really great to maintain an open mind. Um, be open to things like these micro workouts. If you're one of those gym people who can't seem to get motivated at home and you have to place yourself in the gym. And I respect that. And I appreciate that. And when I go to the gym, I feel like it's easier for me to go execute because I don't have the distractions and knowing that I'm leaving my computer. And so I think putting yourself into those success environments are great. But now, especially 2020, we're forced to, you know, adapt and adjust isn't that some of the, the, the terms on your website? You know, we gotta oh, for sure. Us, man. Oh. We got to be ready for anything. Monkey and word. So, yeah, the, the MoFo supplement's good when your diet's maybe not perfect every single day. And you can, uh, you can click on MoFo on my website to learn more. Look at ancestralsupplements.com. And uh, yeah, I'm throwing a lot at you, but I'm an enthusiast myself and I'm always on the quest to, to learn more and do better and, and, you know, keep it, keep it going keep the dream alive. Oh, absolutely. And that's where monkeys, you got to check out Brad's show. It's just, it's been, you know, I've been listening for years now and following the journey and just, I appreciate your open mind and willingness to try new things and just change your mind even. So, so thank you for yeah, that. That's right. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, the carnivore diet popularity has been an example for me of the importance of maintaining an open mind and thinking critically because we've always considered the, the vegetable, colorful vegetables and, and plant life to be the centerpiece of a healthy diet. And now here's, uh, you know, a, a really strong foundation and a strong movement saying, hey, maybe you don't need to eat all that stuff and maybe it's not even good for you. And it's such a shakeup that you realize um, – you know, look, we, we have to hear these people out. We have to, you know, formulate our own thoughts and beliefs and, and test things out ourselves. And I suppose the same is true in er other areas of life, like politics. You might as well watch the, the debate night from the, the party on the other side and at least see what they're saying. Right. And then if you're going to go for confirmation bias and strengthen your own beliefs, that's fine too. But at least we're, you know, absorbing the information and, and be, being willing to, to grow and change is, is, is always going to be a winner absolutely absolutely well thank you for myself and all the monkeys and yeah seriously hopefully uh i think i'd love to uh, do this again and share the good word of getting over yourself with the monkeys so thanks brad anytime thank you everybody 